I approached the doorman. Yeah. I asked him, I said, hey, whereabouts around here could I purchase some diapers? And, and doormen at these hotels uh, internationally, I, I love these guys. The character, they're bruisers, right? But they're suited for the day. Sure. But, but they're typically, most of them are like bruisers in some way. And, uh, and he, this guy was, was one such gentleman. Uh, I respected him. And, and he looked down at me because he was much taller than I. And he had no fucking idea what I was talking about. Diapers. Now, this is a word that we don't even think twice about, right? Right. I need diapers for my son. And he said, what, what the fuck is a diaper? And I said, so, okay, so this word isn't registering. How do I translate this? Yeah. And I say, the underwear for my baby. And he says, oh, you mean nappies. Nappies. And two blocks up here, do that, the store, blah, 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 and I go get the nappies in, in the British vernacular, in the Queen's English, British. rather. There's a story inside every smoke shop, with every cigar, and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle at Boveda. This is Box Press. Hey everyone, Rob Gagne here with Boveda. I'm at TPE sitting across a legend in the industry. This man has started a jewelry company, gone on to make bespoke custom units, lifestyle products that not only affect us, but have entrenched us inside the cigar community with what we like to smoke. It's none other than Matt Booth. Oh my God. Oh shit. Take me back. We're just speaking British. Yeah, but they have such a phenomenal set of terms we have yeah. that, that are so vastly different from anything that we use. Like I was being uh, interviewed. Uh, we just, by the way, just opened up our first international distributor after almost 13 years in the game. Tour Imports, my man Scott Vines uh, in the UK, yeah. right? And their product literally just landed this week in the UK. So it's a new, new level for us. And uh, his social media uh, uh, manager, Callie, Yep. is interviewing me. And then as many interviews, as you're probably well aware, just kind of go off into, you know, whatever land, right? <laughs> and and uh, she enjoys horses. She owns horses. That's not code. I'm not like, you know, not trying to be yeah. weird. Like she owns two horses and she, you know, we start to vibe on that because my mom, the one luxury that my mother afforded herself, the only luxury was a horse. And there's wow. some weird, obscure connections to... Uh, tobacco for me and horses, like the the scent of hay. Sure. Uh, there, there are some time travel type triggers in my mind uh, that directly connect in the blending process with certain tobaccos that, sure. that put off that stank, aroma, aroma, as it were. And, uh, you know, so we're talking about that. We're chatting. And then she's talking about how, you know, it's a very expensive hobby. Yeah. And at the end of the month... She basically has to work again for the next month to get the money to support her horse habit. Sure. And I mentioned to her, you know, we're joking about her, like, having to move into her trailer and, you know, all this stuff. We also spoke about Crocs for a good period of time. But the, my point is she said, well, you know, I'll just be, you know, mincing about my lorry. Mincing about my what? 
lorry. And I said, lorry. mincing about in your lorry? Mincing? And she just starts laughing because she understands that I have no idea what she just right. said. But I'm so intrigued. And mincing can have a couple different uh, meanings, right? But essentially, like for her, not necessarily frolicking, but like uh, prancing about a little bit, sure. like mincing, you know, this is, okay. you know, and I imagine, although we didn't get that far, I imagine you could probably leverage the term, like you and I were chatting right now, Yeah. but if I started to become overly flirtatious with you and you maybe giggled to me a little bit, we might be mincing with one another. Does that make sense? Okay, this or the will other happen. way, like mince words, like we could be arguing. Right, but I don't know that they use it in that way. Oh, so but I don't know American if they use it in the other way either. Sure. But it seemed like a, a friendly, there was a friendly and jovial upbeat scent to the, the way that she was leveraging the word, right? So now I like to use mincing, you know, and I, I want to, every, so my point is every conversation you have with anyone, uh, you know, the world becomes a smaller place, right? Absolutely. And like that was a moment that she and I shared, but she enlightened me to some new terminology and, uh, uh, you know, one step closer to the world being small, right? Exactly. That's why I like to travel. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, both uh, psychedelically and physically, you know. Psychedelically? I travel less psychedelically now. I have a child. I, I, sometimes you don't come back to the station and we can't. We can't do that Less now. of the psychedelics. Yeah, way less. Like none, actually. Now it's terrifying. I've never really been afraid of much, and uh, uh, especially not death, because I think you're in some way returned uh, cosmically to the universe, right? Okay. Not in any formed... I don't have no formed... Uh, you know, structure, so right? So if you were diagnosed with a terminal illness, you wouldn't be afraid at all? No, no. My, hear me out. So, you know, as a younger chap or lad, as they might say in the UK, uh, I, I, I didn't fear it. I actually, for most of my youth, probably welcomed it in some, in some way. Uh, but now, you know, I was overcome, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as a dad, right? Yeah. This was not too long ago. I was washed over. Typically, I'm washed over with like this wave of gratitude, for my family Tell that me I that. was afforded cosmically through all the activities in my life and all of the speed bumps that I even placed in front of my, in my own path, right? Right. Uh, that somehow I made it to the point where I was uh, cosmically gifted this opportunity to I have this you, family. Oh my God. Well, you're a fucking animal. You button it up more than I do, but I can smell it on you a mile away. What? He was an animal. What? He was an no. animal. Oh, yeah. See, that's what an animal would say, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You and me would have been disappearing ourselves for like three days in like the old shillelagh in downtown Detroit. It's all about Detroit. saying yes. Huh? It's all about saying yes. That's how I met my wife. But it's all about saying yes. When somebody asks you, hey, do you want to go do X, Y, Z? If you feel like it's safe, Mm -hmm. Light, slightly, right? Not, nothing life-threatening. You want to say yes. You could mince you about. Well, yeah, you don't know what kind of experience you're going to have, and that's almost the chase. What kind of experience am I going to have if I say yes? Well, 
you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So right. you got to go get it. So to finish that thought, because sometimes I ramble a bit, I've been, so typically I'm washed over with gratitude, right? I can't, I can't, I can't even express, there are no words to express the, the, you know, the level of gratitude I have to be yeah. where I'm at today, you know, in terms of life, family, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, uh, but I was washed over with terror for a moment. Really? Well, because it had never occurred to me that in between the moment that I achieved this level of blessing, right? And has just been absorbing it, you know, bathing in it, yeah. you know, like... Uh, That's funny. I, I just got, a, I had a vision of, of Bill Paley like bathing in gold doubloons in a bath, like something like that, like sure. bathing. I stopped myself because I didn't know if I should say that. And then I said it anyways. I love you, Bill. Uh, or anything like that, right? But I was, I was overcome with terror because I thought, and now I actually have something to lose. And the loss That's would be so grand it was terrifying. Now, I believe that our, we are, my family is very cosmically connected. Like, I'll find them again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I will find them again. But it took me half of this lifetime to find them now. And right. I just thought, I, I was terrified at the thought of death because it would take me away from them. And I thought, fuck, now I'm scared to die. This is fucked up. But how full circle this thing comes, right? Right. It's crazy, right? You're saying you kind of have something to live for as far as... You always have something to live for, but now it's like... It's everything. I want it's to everything. keep living this life. Yeah. Never want to stop. Yeah. yeah. Death, death starts to knock on a more frightening door Whew. when you got family involved. Crazy, man. It's crazy. To th I had never had that thought. Yeah, and you're talking I never to addressed an undertaker. It. Yeah. No, I know. So, See, I told you. He's animal. Full animal. So I know all about death. Necromancer. It, uh, it's intense. Yeah, man. Well, and the interesting thing about a cat in your position, right, is the, you know, the cast of characters changes and you yeah. would become, okay, so we're always in a certain, on a, on a stage of a certain type, right? Like if I go into, for example, uh, a retail store and I'm there to educate and entertain and whatnot and, and all the licking and nipple twisting starts and everyone has a great time. Like I'm very comfortable in that environment. Yeah. And similar to, uh, you know, like everyone always makes the jokes about your, the cast of characters that's in a, in a rock band, like, oh, the bass player behaves this way, the drummer's this guy, you know? And so that same cast of characters exists in a cigar shop, sure. you know, and you run into character or like, yeah. oh, you're the bass player. Yeah. You yeah, know, and yeah. people are like, what? Like, never mind. So, but you were familiar with that cast in that setting, which is super unique, right? right? Because I would imagine, although obviously it's an industry uh, and people gravitate to certain lines of work uh, for certain reasons, right? Some things compel them because it's part of their internal wiring harness, right? I think it would be a very interesting probably overwhelming and phenomenal experience to somehow become so adept at dealing 
with that cast of characters, but also in that moment, which for many people is a moment of less hinging, less control, right. uh, emotional overload, right? Um, but you could sit back in the room and be like, that's the dude that wants the money. I smell it on him. You know what I mean? Like, you know every one of them, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, I think that that would be a really unique uh, position to be in, to have that type of education, human education. Right. Right? Because you could go direct a funeral in a country, or, or actually not even in a country here, right, where that entire cast one evening, there's not one lick of English spoken, right? Right. But yet you would still very well be able to communicate and cater to them on feeling, right? Because sometimes- Good insight. Yeah, well, I, I think, right? Because, you know, when language can be the, the tongue of the snake too. Like slick talking, sure, sure, sure. you know, uh, influence, massaging certain things with language. I find some of the most pure and un unadulterated volleys of communication I've ever had have been with non-English speaking or people that I can't communicate with at all through language. So really? maybe there's a translator, but you sit across from someone and so now because language is deleted, you know, the body, uh, the mind, yeah. um, Amplify like the volume knob on other types of perception goes up, up to 11 and the language thing has to go away. Yeah. And so you're more hypersensitive to many times their content of character, the, the being that's in front of you. The Japanese have a saying about people that are actually dark inside, like bad, right? They say they have black stomach. Black stomach. Black stomach. This is a, a term that they use. And it's, it's, if someone has black stomach, they're rotten. They is it have correctable? ill intent. I think anything to a certain degree is correctable, you know? But like, if you come across somebody that's just a really gnarly, nasty, you know, person, they would say that they have black stomach. I like that. Yeah. And they I mean, don't I have don't to like be like it being in people, but I like the terminology of it. Yeah. Well, I think it's a very, unique but very authentic way to hammer that out in, in two words yeah black you know, stomach black stomach stay away yeah and if somebody's like moderately bad they probably have tan stomach sure or, or maybe like mauve stomach maybe they were might introduce you former black stomach but now golden yeah i don't know yeah yeah man yeah amazing whatever so we're talking about stuff we are. We want to talk about you. How well, you got here. I feel very uncomfortable now. Um, you like feel how like, I got here? I flew here. Eh, not, not so much how you picked me up at the airport. Physically got here. Came from him. But more or less, <laughs> your, your journey. Wow, man. Um, can I start you off with oh, an oh, idea? Okay, jumpstart me. You, uh, you're a Marine veteran. That's and true. And you entered into the military at a young age. And you said it was because you noticed that your life needed to take a change. Wow. Of course. Yeah. Tell me what influenced that change, of course, because it, that takes a lot of wisdom to know that you need to do that. And I think that's a life-changing moment. 
well, a lot of things that I do and have done have all been piloted by Belly Radar, right? Piloted and by what? Belly Radar, internal belly radar. radar. Okay, gut right? instinct. And, uh, you know, I think that that decision was made maybe by my f- future self, yeah. right? Or the future self that I could be if I aggressively altered my course. Sure. You know? And I had, I had identified that I just needed to pull the ejector lever on where I was and aggressive rerouting, rechanneling immediately. Sure. Do not pass go. What was the vision that made you think you needed to pull the ejector? Like what, like what gut, did it just happen, happen to you at once or did it build or tell me more about that? Uh, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, I think living, well, you know, as I said earlier, you know, like uh, a younger version of myself, uh, you know, I, when we were talking about the whole, you know, gratitude for family and whatnot, the aforementioned younger version of myself that uh, did not fear, and in fact, I think in many cases welcomed death at that time, a very immature to do that, by the way. What a waste. Right. right. What a waste of life, right? But when you're young and angry, you, you know, and you've got a bunch of things going on, this just seems, you know, the fuck it. Can I say F? Yeah, yeah. Fuck. <clears throat> Did we? I'm just, I have to clear my. <clears throat> fuck. <laughs> it's very nice. So uh, I think that, um, you know, living uh, with a very um, negative mindset and acting that out physically, you know, um, it just, I knew I wasn't heading in a good direction, you know? And there was going to be brevity to either my life physically or uh, freedom-wise. I don't sure. know how to put that. Sure. And, so, and so I made the choice to, to eject from that, man. And, and I really never looked back until somewhat recently, you know? Um, I never really looked over my shoulder. What caused you look back recently? Uh, you know, a couple of things, man. Obviously, family. Uh, getting to uh, the 40-year mark um, has been cause for some reflection, you know. Um, you know, setting up a home base uh, back closer to family um, and, and, you know, picking up on some of the embers of a life that used to be via that process, you know. All, all are cause for thought, right? Um, so th- that's why, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. Have I said enough? You've always Have said enough. Have I not enough. said enough? This is just your, this is your story, man. You've always said enough. You know, I'm so grateful that I made that decision. The Marine Corps changed my life, right? Yeah. And actually in many ways primed me for the entrepreneurial journey that was ahead. Unknowingly, completely unknowingly, you know? Um, because there is no try, right? There's only do. Right. I should have listened to Yoda. I could have skipped the, the whole, <laughs> you know, the four years of pain. But uh, I was, I'm very glad. I will forever be grateful that I made that decision. I'm glad I did it. But it wasn't for me long term either. Sure. You know, I was very, uh, I would always congratulate uh, friends and guys that I served with because there were some guys even at a young age that decided to reenlist and they had found what they really wanted to do with themselves right. at such an early age, you know, and, and it made sense for them, right? 
And so I'd always congratulate them, like, because I felt that they were way ahead of the game, yep. you know? And now, being 40 years old, all those guys that stayed in have already retired and are moving on to a second career, you know, with a pension, with the, you know. Sure, yeah. So it's good for them. Right. Good for them, you know. So obviously military, kind of when I think of people who come from military, mm -hmm. I think of, you know, they have a lot of drive, ambition, strength, mm -hmm. direction, dedication, mm -hmm. affirmation. But those, those attributes and affirmations that make up who you are, mm -hmm. what do you think are the, maybe one of the best attributes that attributed to your success are we doing, are we doing in it? life? Are we doing that? Can I yeah. do it? I felt like I was like, I, I felt like I was aggressing your microphone for a minute. I want to chill. You can pull it closer. Oh. Yeah. Vincent Vega. Okay. So you sit before you. You sit with me. I sit before you as one of the most stubborn people you have ever met in your life. You're 100%. one of the most stubborn people? That, that you have ever met. I guarantee. I really? guarantee. It's part of my genetic fabric. Okay. But, you know... There are a lot of things that you're born with that are part of your genetic tapestry and you can either succumb to them and they can be an encumbrance or you can learn how to leverage them and weaponize them sometimes to your advantage. That's a good point. You know, and that's the, the chief ingredient to the recipe of my success. Of course, I don't want to use the word success too flippantly uh, right now, uh, but... If you're talking about what got us here, um, you know, my business should have failed a hundred times over. It was never, you know, knowing what I know now. Really? Uh, in terms of like having to fumble my way into a, a more executive position and provide oversight for our company and companies and direct, you know, knowing what I know now, uh, surrounding business from practical application should have never worked. Never, right? What were some of those things that made you feel like, hey, this isn't going to work out? No, I never felt like it wasn't going to work out. I always knew it was, and I was going to make it work. But I'm saying like, if you scripted this and you sat down, you know, like with a, I don't, I don't know, like Rodney Dangerfield, uh, what, what was it, old school? Or what was, what was the thing where he went and taught kids in a business course in college, but he was like a, an accomplished entrepreneur. It was an 80s movie. Sure. Do we know this movie? We know this movie. Roman, I know you know this movie. I know you know this movie. It's old school. It is old. Is it old yeah. school? Huh? Back to, school. back to school? Old school, back to school. We're going to look it up. School of Rock? No. That was Jack Black. The, point, the premise of the show was Rodney Dangerfield was this accomplished businessman, an entrepreneur. And, what? Back to school. Back to school. Probably picked it up one Friday night on VHS cassette from the local mom and pop rental spot. Yeah. And shoved that into the gaping orifice of my video recording and playback device and watched this gentleman who was a seasoned operator schooling kids that were learning very formed and I, probably idealistic lessons about business. Now, granted... Someday when I actually have the fucking time, I would actually like to go and attend business courses because I'd like to see 
what I missed out on, on some of the fundamentals, if I missed anything, you know, or how they teach it and how it works or sure. how they, how it's taught versus how it works. Right. Um, but, uh, do you think that you can really learn business or is it more through experience? I think, I think you can learn anything to a degree. And then I think that there are other things that are unlearnable that you either have or you don't have. And they can completely be elements in the raw within you that are honed and polished, right? Through trial, right? Through, through action, you know? So I think that for me, whatever I had worked, right? Yeah. Like I made it work and still make it work. So when Allegedly. You say you- am I making this work? I, oh, yeah. I hope I'm kind of. Totally. Ipso facto. So you're, you said you, you make it work and you never felt like there was a moment where this wasn't going to work. No, because I was going to do it. So there weren't any it. red lights that made you think, this is it for Matt Booth. I can't go any further. I'm stuck. No. You know, okay, perfect example. 2008, which we find ourselves in a very interesting time right now, as specifically as it relates to consumer behavior, because my opinion is that people are spending in a way that they haven't spent since prior to 2008. Consumption of merchandise, right? Sure. On all levels, all classes of goods, and it's scalable, you know, from someone buying an extra box or a nicer box of cigars to someone buying their family Rolex presidents because they last year couldn't take them on the cruise to Capri, right? Yeah. It would be nice, right? Right, right. Fuck, we got to get that Capri cheddar. I don't mean the short pants either. You know what I mean? So what was I talking about? Jumpstart me, men. You were talking about not ever feeling like you were stuck. Oh, right. So in 2008, the game plan was, you know, I had been, I had been taking my products to market. Uh, I was focused on selling our uh, bespoke made jewelry products as fashion accessory to higher end specialty boutiques and setting up a core foundation of distribution around the country where we would have, say, one location per city, right? Sure. Very intimate, very intelligently placed the script would allow for, say, one placement in a fine jewelry store and one placement in a fashion boutique because they would sell different levels of our collections and many times to different consumers or even if it was the same consumer, they would have a different mindset walking into one door versus the other, right? Sure. Um, and when the economy crashed in 2008, which, you know, which is always interesting to me because the, the world refers to it as the global financial crisis, but we refer to it as, as our financial crisis, right? Sure. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I thought I turned that off. Junior move, bro. Okay. So probably important. Um, <laughs> so all of my accounts went out of business. We had been building this specialty store foundation because the next stage was department store. You build the foundation, build a solid foundation, build the notoriety around the name, build the equity in the name, get the product flowing. And then, you know, department store one would be the next target, right? Sure. And right 
about roundabouts there in Matt Booth's Room 101 timeline, the global financial or American financial crisis occurs, right? Sure. And uh, all of my accounts either went out of business or stopped paying their bills. Oh, man. At once. So what'd that do? Over, like, within a week, within two weeks. It was over. through your head. Even my specialty customers. I mean, we had a lot of custom projects. I mean, my factory was full of several custom commissions every month. Um, uh, And, well, at that time, I was already gaining entree into this industry. And I was somewhat being ushered in on the coattails of the equity that I already built in our existing brand. Right. And our cult followership, the, the community, the conspiracy that was Room 101 and Room 101 files, if you will. Sure. And I popped my head in here and began to build Room 101 cigars. I stepped from door A, which is, you know, falling from, you know, engulfed in flames and falling behind me. <laughs> and I step into the tobacco dome and it's as if there's no crisis at all. There's Literally, healthy business. You saw a polar difference in 2008 between. It was as if it markets. wasn't occurring. Why? It was is that? literally people were spending. Uh, there was healthy business here. There was tremendous opportunity for growth, and there was uh, what was occurring was the, you know, the the birth, if you will, of a new uh, niche segment of this market, which was the boutique segment or craft okay. segment of the market, right? And we dovetailed directly into that and caught a second wind with our branded business. Wow. So what was, what was at the time believed to be a shrewd and strategic move to add this additional lifestyle category uh, to our branded lineup became, uh, you know, became the new pulse of our branded business. Yeah. Right? While the other area continued to, you know, restructure, rebuild, marinate, you know, people were licking their wounds, right? Sure. And, and uh, although we never really saw spending come back, uh, you know. In the stores yeah, section? I mean, we, we did and we didn't. It was just never as much of a free-for-all as it was. You know, the, um, you know, actually one of my, my first official account was a family-owned business here, a family-owned specialty store called Elton's, named after the father Elton, piloted by his son Scott. And they, they were the only account that survived 2008. They completely pivoted. They restructured the type of merchandise they sold. They catered to a different clientele uh, or to a different spending appetite, you know, for some time. And I mean, they, they would, I mean, that account... Their store, I remember vividly back in the day, there was this LA-based brand called Great China Wall. Super cool at the time, super cool. Looking back, you're like, woof, it's a bit much. But, you know, I mean, these, do you remember Great China Wall, Froman? Great China Wall, the brand? Okay, so a $4,500 hoodie. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. They'd sell a couple a month out of their store. Oh, yeah. Which was in the, the shopping area of... Uh, the Mandalay. Okay. They'd sell 
several of our large necklace kits, were, which were completely unnatural to be sold in a clothing store. They were excessive items, right? Sure. So they would sell high ticket items out of that store. People would come to Vegas, get kitted up, go out on the town, you know, like the whole deal, right? In fact, if you want to think about the human psyche and the spending, so in the end of 2008, everything was fucked. It was decimated. The day of New Year's Eve is traditionally that store's largest sales day of the year. This is the biggest day for spending in their store. Right. With the economy burning, we set an all-time sales record for jewelry sales in their store the day of New Year's Eve. What? As well as they set a store overall store record, right? Wow. The next year, their register on that day did not ring one time. And they Why officially went into survival mode. Well, because human nature is like, you know, I imagine everybody said, fuck it, we're going to go out and go hard one last time. And then we're just going to figure it out after the fact, right? And so, so even though the pending doom of the global financial crisis hit, they think, well, I'm going to go ball it up one more time. Let's go out and get it one last time before we really have to start figuring shit out, so right? So in 2009, it was like crickets. Then, yeah. Yeah. Because everybody had long since been home licking their wounds, trying to figure out what they were going to do, you know? Um, and at that time, we were beginning to go full steam into premium tobacco as a brand. Sure. I, so I never, I never thought, even with all that impending doom, I never thought for a minute that it wasn't going to work out. I was just following, you know, you Michael Jackson fan? Oh, yeah. You know the Billie Jean video? Yeah. You know how the tiles of the sidewalk light up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just follow those tiles. Sure. Right? And I was being guided into this other space. And instead of, you know, Braveheart style fighting it out in those trenches, I was afforded the opportunity to build our brand in an entirely new category and breathe life, new life, into our brand as a whole. So I never really thought it wasn't going to work out. Awesome. Hmm. I like the conviction. Long-winded? Ah, no. Love it. Great stories. How aroused are you speaking to me right now? I wouldn't give that the term that I'm uh, currently feeling. He plays it cool. He does. He's a cool, a cool operator. He was an undertaker, so he can keep it super level. It's okay. I know. On that jewelry business front, I love the... Coming up in the thriving silver scene, the the way you explain it, there's this desire in what was this, the 90s, to like accessorize with silver. It was like the hottest thing. Well, that's have. when that industry had a boom, right. basically, right? So that's kind of the genesis of Room 101 is you're seeing these silver artists making craft mm -hmm. silver work. Yeah, yeah. And what, what drew you into that, that it was so drawing that you were like, I got to be a part of this. I was obsessed with it, man. I would see that style floating around Hollywood and I realized I was going to pursue it uh, in a more serious fashion when, you know, okay, so I come up with a lot of my ideas 
when I'm going to sleep. Sure. And I think it has something to do with the fact that I'm beginning to separate from consciousness a little bit. Yeah. And a little bit of control is, you know, and there's relief from whatever was inundating my mind throughout the Your day. stubborn brain removes oh. itself. Holding on, <laughs> right? And so this is when I'd come up with a lot of my song ideas, right? Okay. Get up. you're a musician. Write it down. Right, you know, record it, whatever I got to do. So I, because in the morning it'll be gone. Right. And I realized that in that moment, I was starting to get up and, and chart jewelry designs and concepts for collections. Just on and your own with no training. You just thought. I, because I was becoming obsessed with it. Right. You know? And so that was really the moment where I realized like, hey, maybe I should do something with this. Froman, you got to get the pics for social. Daddy needs his Instagram. My God, I'm so delinquent have, in my Instagram. I have to admit, as a young man, it wasn't very popular to be obsessed about jewelry and accessories, mm, mm. but I was. Yeah. So that silver scene that you're talking about, I remember it because it was everywhere and I was constantly trying to consume something to accessorize myself and express myself in that manner. Yeah, man. It wasn't widely popular for men to wear jewelry in the 90s. Correct. But it was rock star. This was a different thing. This Your wasn't just jewelry. jewelry. Was cool, but the jewelry, I'm, you know, I'm going to Claire's Boutique where it's right. set up for women. You know what I'm saying? Understood. <laughs> so, I get it. I get it. So You yeah. got to drape like 10 of the chains to, you know, yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And my wrists are already tiny enough. So it's like, do you have this in an extra, extra small? <laughs> so, but similar to this world, which we're both very familiar with, that world had this very small community of designers, right? Figureheads, and each one of them, very similar, not so much now, but in the beginning, yeah. when you look at the cast of characters that was piloting um, the initial wave of boutique brands, every individual was very different, and their brand was very different in a sense that it was authentic to them. Absolutely. Right? The, the, the brands were actually just like, uh, I feel more so that they're uh, tributes to the craft, right? This yeah. is my interpretation. This is my rendition of this thing that I love, right? And it looks like me, you know? Right. Um, and, and very similar, in that world, there was a, 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 an even smaller cast of characters that were piloting these brands. And, you know, I, I followed them. You know, I admired them. Right. Um, you know? wanted to be like them, right. you know, want, dreamt that I could do something, you know, along those lines, but with my own twist, sure. you know, and none of them had really done full life. I mean, they were lifestyle collections, but they were solely tethered to that spine of silver and then maybe some leather work, whatever, but they didn't tread into tobacco, into fragrance, into eyewear, into alcohol. And I wanted to have this fully comprehensive lifestyle collection that was Los Angeles flavor, but that also paid homage to, say, Dunhill of 1962 at the same time, you know? Um, that was the idea, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Am I getting off track? Am I no. doing you proud? You're doing great. Get so nervous. But with, Rob. with the cachet of celebrities that you have fitted out with jewelry and custom work. I mean, the list, 
this is a small representation. The list is huge. You got Busta Rhymes, Snoop Dogg, Guy Fieri, D. Snyder, Ice T, Chad Ochocinco, and Slash. I mean, these people come from all sectors mm-hmm. of celebrities. Yeah. You're not catering to one type of celebrity. These people are coming at you from all angles. True. Which project was your most fun and exciting to work on? I think one of the coolest things that we made was a a leather carrying case for Slash's top hat. And a we made leather that leather carrying case for his yeah. top hat. Well, so his his assistant approached me and Slash is very unassuming if he's not geared up. Yeah. He's just a rock the top guy. Hat Lo- makes big it. hair, Adidas track pants walking through the airport. I mean, only those that really, really know, right? I could see that. But the hat, if he's Signature. carrying that fucking hat, everybody, they were like, hair, hat, hair, hat, slash. So, <laughs> so the idea was, of course, what do you get for the guy that has everything or could get everything? They wanted some sort of uh, uh, concealment carrying case for the hat. Oh, so he didn't want to show it off so he could kind yeah. of go incognito. Yeah, well, and, and plus he's got to carry it in his hand. Yep. You know, he wanted something where it would protect it a bit. Yep. And we built this thing. We built balsa wood frame. I mean, this was done the way a hat box would have been made in 1920. You know, the way really? they don't make them anymore, right? Yeah, true bespoke yeah. hat box. Yeah, Italian leather, custom sterling silver fittings. I even made the, the shoulder strap uh, was attached to it with shallow strap locks. So, I mean, I'm sure he never used it that way, but you could remove it from the, the case and use it as a guitar strap, you know? It was just more of a linking it to him, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And that was always uh, one of my favorite projects because it was so unique. And it sure. really was an opportunity to flex what exactly we could do. You know, because I've made a ton of bracelets for a ton of people and, and I love doing it. But this wasn't just another bracelet. This was yeah. something that was truly one of a kind, full bespoke construction and served a purpose. It was also very functional. Right. You know, so. Um, and it allowed him an opportunity to be more. Yeah. Dare I say, dare I say normal? Covert. Covert. I like that. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I've never made a, a practice of chasing after celebrity endorsement for our brand, although sure. many brands are built on this. And so if you really examine the cast of characters that supported us over the years, a lot of them, Evan Seinfeld likes to say, they're just the real motherfuckers. That's how he says it. <laughs> he says, the guys that support your brand, they're, yeah, they're, they have fame and they're known, but yep. they're also, it's not like uh, we're trying to broker some sort of endorsement deal with George Clooney or no, something like that. No, they want to wear this. By the way, I'm not shy. George, call your boy. But- at the same time, uh, we work with people that I think far more appreciate what we do, and it's and it's not looked at as some sort of like business transactional You're not thing. Buying them to wear it, yeah, they want to wear it, yeah, they want to have that. Absolutely, that is an expression of who they are. Absolutely, that's the most genuine way to get an endorsement. Mm-hmm. I think that's wise. I mean, look, guy, you know, I've known him over fifteen years. We met. Uh, after he won his first Food Network competition show. Sure. And I made him the first bracelet that I made from at that time. And in the years to follow, I'm sure he has been approached by many, many a designer after the fame came. And many people- Hey, wear my stuff, wear my stuff. Many people he turned away. 
Now, his content of character, I think, is uncommon with many people, right? He's sure. a really solid guy. And, you know, he just, you know, basically the sentiment was you were there before all that. And so now you're my boy. I'm going to honor that. But now I'm famous and maybe this can shed some new light. More people can discover what you do through sure. me, you know, and he's expressed that sentiment to me many times. So, so I like how Guy turned down people that, you know, were just trying to get their product on him for yeah. exposure. Has there ever been an opportunity where you've turned down a piece because you just didn't think like it was the right fit? You know, off, off the top of my head, I can't think of one. I can't think of one. Um, you know, I, and I know that a lot of people like to, and I guess it is interesting, right? And it adds uh, some color and flavor to what it is that we do. And, and many people validate any brand by the famous people that wear it, not by the merit of the product. I mean, this is just kind of human nature, I think, with consumables. Um, I far more enjoy making things for people that are uh, the working guy or gal that want to invest in their dream piece, right? And whether that's a ring, bracelet, something crazy custom, anything in between, you know, um, those are the real MVPs to me, yeah. you know, and they're all part of our family, man. I mean, every person that I've ever made a custom piece for somehow, some way becomes a friend. It's a very intimate process, you know? Yeah. And you're- Explain that though. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm not the only person that does what I do. I'm yeah. the only person that does what I do the way that I do it. Sure. But that could be said for a myriad of other folks, right? So something I'm doing resonates deeply enough where they pursue my product, my brand. Like they're aligning themselves with, with us, right? right? And so there's already a, a shared frequency in some respect there, right? Sure. And so um, it, the process of building a custom, yeah, I'm taking direction from them. But at the same time, a lot of what I build for people comes from my feeling about them. And, and every custom piece I've done consistently becomes my favorite thing that I've made, right? I tend to do my best work for other people. That's awesome. Or, or when it's, you know, when, when the atmosphere is uh, at that level of intimacy and there's a heightened level of importance, right? That this is going to be their piece, you know? And we, and we don't replicate anything we make on that level right. uh, for anyone else unless it's sanctioned by the owner, you know, or they want to get one for their buddy or whatever, you know, of course. I mean, it's, their, it's right. basically their property, you know. I make it for them, you know. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. That intimate level and that inspiration that you carry, mm -hmm. when you get new pieces, is that what kind of keeps you going? Is it nice to get new pieces that make you go, oh, yeah, this is why I do this? Look, designing like the commercial aspect of what we do is to support the vice of design. Right. Like the creative portion of everything that I do is my favorite part of everything. Similar to blend composition, uh, series construction and structure, uh, packaging design in this world, you know, um, and so on. Like that's my favorite part. Sure. You know. Making it is your yeah. favorite part. 100%. Yeah. Froman, how's my posture? Good. Oh my God. Is it better this way? 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 
Is this better? Froman, wait, be honest. Hold on. Is this a good look for me? No? Okay. It's good. It's all. Oh, my God. So I got to talk. I got to talk about. A skosh. A urinal cake. Pad. <clears throat> Sorry. Pad. Actually, a mouse urinal pad. Urinal cake is way better sounding. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to do, do the cakes, too. There's a difference? Absolutely, there's a difference. Okay. Okay, let's back up. School me up on these urinal things. Urinal pad, okay, is just a flat pad, sometimes scented, many times perforated to allow for flow of product. And many times graphics can, you know, it can be adorned yeah. with graphics, right? Okay. A cake is an actual hockey puck-esque form of ah. deodorized material that disintegrates on puck. contact with warm liquids. Okay, so... Uh, and off right. puts the scent. Thank you for the education. Appreciate that. No, it's my pleasure. So we have a urinal pad. You have changed the game of marketing... Not only cigars... Mom's proud. But just anything. And the fact that you have a urinal pad that people covet so much that they pull out of the bathroom, rinse off in the sink... Yes. Yes. It has been witnessed. Yeah. What do you feel when something like that happens? Are you just flabbergasted? So, as I am unschooled in the ways, but wise in the ways in many ways at the same time, I defer to my beautiful wife, Pterodactyl Boo, Nikki Covington, because she's a psychotherapist, trained. And so, when I know that I'm leveraging some sort of psychological fuckology to market <laughs> my products, I turn to her and I say, okay, so textbook, what am I doing right now? Because I know this works and I know it's going to work. And I could piece together why it's going to work in my own words, but textbook me, what is this that I'm doing? And that's and your then wife say, that tells you that? Yeah. And she'll say, well, actually what you're doing is you're leveraging this trigger more than likely from their childhood. And she like dissects mechanically uh, from an educated standpoint what I'm doing and why it works. That's why you're dangerous. Well, I just know that it works. <laughs> and I intuitively do what I do. Pulling those levers over yeah, there. Yeah, man. But she, she gives me some confirmation, you know? You know, We're going to pull this lever right now. I said, what is the most intimate moment a man can have with himself? You think I that's must it? advertise while his mind is open. Do you know, do you know what micturation syncope is? Micturation what? Syncope. Syncope? Yeah. So, so syncope is to faint. Okay. Syncope to faint. Syncope is faint, right? So to lose consciousness. is to pee. That's correct. It's a very fancy word to take a piss. So when you urinate... My dear friend, Boveda Rob, psychologically, you might think that you're pushing. You might feel like you're pushing fluid. But what you're really doing is your mind is telling your unit to loosen muscles that are containing this fluid right. in your body and allowing it to leave you. Okay? So there's something very intimate going on in your mind while you're conducting this activity. Now, now this is funny with the way that I'm describing it. I get it, haha. But this is also very serious because I said, what's one of the most intimate moments that my customers could be having with themselves that I could saunter into for a moment, at that moment? And 
strike at their soft underbelly of consciousness. And I said, well, obviously, when they're taking a piss. So I have to make urinal screens. And it worked. Yes, it did. And if anyone ever does that, you bit my style and you know you did. That's you're not giving me credit for half the shit that's on this trade show floor, but you're not taking that. I own the bathroom game in this business. I'm sorry. I get very defensive. That's all right. Like, yeah. Because it's fun to pioneer, pioneer new ways to approach marketing and reaching a customer base. So I applaud you for saying yes. I thought outside the box on that one. Well, look, man, everything we've ever done has been via guerrilla tactic, has been grassroots. It's, you know, I've never, you know, I, I have self-fun in my business through the entire history of my business. So everything, whereas, you know. Wait a minute, I thought you had other investors. No. But I, I thought have, I heard you on another podcast saying like, you have other investors and you wanted them to feel secure so you're trying to get on more podcasts. Did I misinterpret? I don't believe I ever said that. I have several partners in my business that help me pilot different categories, ah, help me manage. Maybe that's what you were referring yeah. to is like, because yeah. somebody said to you like, hey, I wish Matt Booth would have been on the last eight podcasts that I just listened to. Ah. That's the reference of the story I'm talking oh. about. And I thought you had said, I wanted them to feel comfortable investing in me. So that's the way I took it. But that's No, not. I think if I was talking about investment, I think I was talking, I, it, I believe I remember what you're talking about. And I believe I was referring to our retailers, our retail partners' investment into our brand. Gotcha. By so supporting our brand, putting our brand the on the shelves. retailers that you were listening to, and they were saying, I would like to see you on more podcasts. It was a retailer that said that. It was Ronnie Hishihashi, Secreto uh, Cigar Bar, Detroit, Michigan. Thank you. Shout out. He said that to me. Can I do malicious promotion? Absolutely. Okay, good. Good. Uh, so he had actually mentioned that to me, said, I wish this Matt Booth had been on the last eight podcasts that I, that I've listened to. Okay. You know, my apologies. I no, thought no, no. you were solely, you know, on your own, doing your mm -hmm. own thing. And I thought it was very uncharacteristic, but I thought, huh? I don't know. I don't know what it takes to run a huge business like yours and produce let's as not, many Let's not get carried away with huge, but so, we're getting there. It's a big uh, business, man. Well, look, man, it's, but everyone that deals with us and supports us is making an investment absolutely in, into our branded products and into their stores, right. you know? And as with many small businesses, you know, if you deal with, you know, there are much larger companies than mine that have a, uh, a cadre of employees and executives and marketing directors, and they can take shots at you all day. They can spray machine gun fire with an endless supply of ammunition, seemingly endless, right? And in my position, I can't shoot and miss once, ever. You know, if I shoot and miss once, you know, we pay for that, Yeah. you know? So I pay for it, my family pays for it, our brand family pays for Have it. Have you ever shot and miss? Where you kind of felt the sting in the payment that you had to make? One of my greatest assets and follies at the same time is my honesty. Your honesty? And navigating business dealings. Um, I think that wearing your heart on your sleeve in an environment that's safe 
can become a phenomenal asset because you are being authentic in the moment and to your partners or potential partners, um, wearing your heart on your sleeve when you're swimming in a kiddie pool that has two sharks in it and you've effectively strapped raw steaks to your body can be a very different thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to say I've shot and missed. There are definitely ways that I would have managed as our business grew different business dealings, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I've always had things buttoned up in a way where we shall survive. Obviously, right. Uh, We wouldn't be sitting here today if I hadn't, but at the same time, you know, I've gone up to bat with Goliath many a time, right? And, you know, uh, because I think of that unbridled honesty, that stance that I can't seem to break myself from taking, you know, we've suffered a bit because of that. So you just said something really interesting where Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I've always made sure that if I shot and missed, it wasn't going to break me. But as an entrepreneurial or as an entrepreneur, they always say that, you have to risk a lot in order to make it. So of I risk every day. But how, I mean, as far as like some people's stories are so risky that they're like, I had $15 in the bank. Right. I had no idea if I was even going to make yeah. it, but yet I still did it. I went yeah. out and I, I spent $5,000 yeah. on my website instead of paying my mortgage. Yeah. You know, like were there, were there times in your career that you had to do those types of things Absolutely. where you could have lost it all? Well, I mean, on paper I could have, but the difference between everybody else's story that does that and mine is that I was the one piloting my ship at that time. But they were too, right? They're entrepreneurs. Yeah, but I, I have a, a superpower of being uh, honest with myself, Right. I'm not, I'm not drunk on my own Kool-Aid, right? Sure. So, what's up, boss? Get in the action, bro. No? Okay, come back. So, uh, so, you know, I hear about people making these decisions, and I'm like, man, you dummy. Like, you didn't have what it takes. Like, be honest with yourself. You know, like, I imagine our boy Rodney Dangerfield, when he went into that classroom, he could have said, okay, five people out of this 100 group of 100 actually have what it takes so we could start there right like if you don't if you don't have certain components constitution right and drive um in a little bit of sense i guess of course you have to continually beat the sensibility away with a stick when you're an entrepreneur because you have to keep fighting, right? You have to keep going, right? But uh, a lot of people, I think, fail because of themselves because they never had what it, they really didn't have what it takes. And they're chasing this, this dream, but they don't have, uh, they don't have the meat and potatoes to take? back it up. Well, like I said, you have to be one of the most stubborn people you've ever come across in your life. So even if it like is. I've been I've been ramming my mouth into a drinking fountain for almost twenty years, someday I'm gonna break through it, you know. Either my jowls are gonna give way completely, or I will go through the fountain and through the wall. Jowls. He's soft on that one. So you think the jawline, the stubbornness makes cock holster. Bingo. 
The stubbornness makes it for you. For me. And look, someone else's key, key ingredient could be different, right? Is it because you're just going to say, you know, okay, roadblock here. I'm going to figure out a way to get around yeah. it. Yeah. Hmm? That's like Every tenacity. Day. Well, there you go. Perseverance pays. Yeah. Hmm? That's the only way I can describe it. To me, that's a common trait of people who have been in the military. Well, like I said, man, if there's no, there's only to do. And you're yeah. the only one that's going to do it. Because even like the Marines are very, or special forces are very like, even if I can get like a little bit of an edge to get me to the next two hours or three hours mm -hmm. or the next, you know, sun up, anything I can do to get a little bit of an edge. What are you looking for in an edge constantly? I'm sorry, I was thinking about something pornographic. Still thinking about that. It's a delightful thought, actually. Uh, what am I looking for? I mean, I got to be honest with you, man. I don't take a lot of time to look no, what do you around. I mean, I'm always uh, face forward, you know? But the urinal cake is a perfect example that yeah. you looked at and you said, this is going to give me an edge. It felt right. So what are the things, like, how do you find those edges that you want to pursue? I literally, onto them? I have a Rolodex of these things in my mind. <laughs> And I don't know why it's there, but I, but I know how to access it. Does that make sense? Sales is psychology, right? Yeah. And this is a very human business, which I right. think is why we've actually done, I mean, allegedly well in this business right. is because it's a very human business, a very heart and soul driven business. Almost heart and soul come before business in many, in many instances in this right. industry, right? And... Um, and I think, and I believe that that, uh, because I'm a heart and soul driven individual, I think that that's why I've been able to stake my claim to a little kernel of the, the market share in this world. And I think somewhat permanently. At least that would be the hope. Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep you posted <laughs> on how that works out. I do have to talk about the 54 custom Chevy. Okay. I'd be delighted. So, and you've tried to explain this to me before, but I don't think I fully grasp it, but I can see it. Okay. What does custom mean in that world when you're looking at reshaping that 54 Chevy? You say it's yeah. a custom, well, not a hot rod. Yeah, of course. And I don't understand Absolutely. that. So you got to enlighten me. Hot rods. <sighs> see, there, there's another... He, he can, you, you can get him oh, that I picture know. later. Wait, what, what happened? Oh, I, I missed. Okay. Oh, my God. It's right there. Yeah, that's, that's a hot rod. That okay. car, that style, that's a hot rod. Like that's a street a hot rod, rod, hot rod. Custom, my car is technically considered a mild custom because there are very mild customizations that have been done to it. You know, the deletion of some trim. Uh, you Got know, it. Uh, these things like it's not this fully uh you know it doesn't have like french headlights and all all this more extravagant sheet metal body work done to it so then what but is a mild hot rod just putting new paint on it and, and no flames? man i mean they're, they're done in in that style you know typically they focus on using a certain base vehicle right yep that we don't necessarily use in our world right um 
and the outcome is different. Like a hot rod to me is, is loud and fast and both loud and sound and loud in appearance. It's uh, American graffiti. Okay. Right. Those are hot rods. Got it. Street rod, hot rod, right? Thank you. Yeah. But custom. Custom um, is something cooler. Now, full custom, it's custom with a K, mind you. Okay. Um, and this is, this is just another interpretation of the vehicle, right? I remember falling in love with what I didn't understand at the time, but now I do, was custom vehicles. When I first moved to Hollywood, I lived at the corner of Melrose and El Centro, in a very delightful part of town in East Hollywood. From and you're probably very familiar with that area. My, my apartment complex has long since been bulldozed and turned into something far more shiny sure. than when I was getting mold poisoning living in it. But I would drive down the block past Bob Roberts' spotlight tattoo every day, block away, block and a half away from my crib. And there was this gentleman that worked in there named Baby Ray. It's a legend, legend from Venice, Los Angeles guy. And he had the illest, the meanest cars I had ever seen. His, he had a black 54 Chevy. Mine's a hardtop. It was a post sedan. And it was always kind of felony parked, felony stop parked out in front of the tattoo shop. And I would make a point to go that way to look at it. Break my neck looking at this car. You know, ultimately ended up meeting him, getting tattooed by him, all that stuff. And driving that car to stir crazy to get him coffee. You know where that is, Froman? He's like, go down and get me the. And I'm like, God, dear God. Wait, how did you get an opportunity to drive his car? Well, he sent me to get coffee for him when he was going to tattoo me. Okay, so you walk in there, you get a tattoo, and the guy says, go get me coffee. No, I mean, after he'd been tattooing me for a while. So, how long are you hanging around this guy? You know, a couple months. A couple months, you just kind of like... He sent me to get coffee in this car. You, you go into the, into the tattoo God. shop, mm-hmm. and do you just get a tattoo right away to start building that relationship? Or did you just start hanging out with them and just drinking coffee and... No, no, man. I mean, I went in to get tattooed and found him there, and, uh, and he ended up starting to tattoo me. Yeah. And then, you, you know, just, I would have to come back and come back. Did you just keep getting more and more tattoos to build that relationship up? No, I mean, I just I kept getting tattoos to get the tattoos. The relationship was a byproduct. So of then, that, this relationship right? forms, and he hands you the keys to his '54 Custom. Go get go me get coffee. coffee. Yes. And you're about flipping out. Absolutely. What's now going that head? car is actually a famous car because Baby Ray later sold that car to Jesse James, and that car you would now know it. It was on the AutoZone commercials with Jesse James oh, back in the day. Sure. That's that car. That's that black '54 Chevy. That so was originally what are you Baby Ray's car. You start this car up, like, good lord, please don't let me scrape. Well, look, yeah, absolutely. So, but you know, also at the same time, thinking like, I'm desperately in love with this thing. There's something about this that is like so captivating to me. Yeah. Like, I could never dream of affording something like this or having something like this for myself. Of course, but. How fucking rad, man. But now and from there, I fell one. in love. Yes, I do. So now your dream came true. You know, in a, in a roundabout way, yes, it did. And why did you paint it silver and not black? I'm going to paint the next one black. The next one? Yeah. All right. Yeah. But what made you go silver? Silver was more fitting for that car. It was originally silver or okay. like the 30th coat of paint on it as I got it was <laughs> silver. And I thought it was pretty in silver, you know? Good. 
So you I, fell in love with the silver. Yeah, I like the silver. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, we repainted it, but but it. Oftentimes, it looks, you're seen in the car with your son Grayson. Yes. What does that mean for you to go on a car ride with Grayson? Oh, it's the best, man. It's the best. Pick him up from school, you know. Did I pick him up from school in that car? He sits in the back. Like this, and he points at his friends. His, his friends are like, oh, and he's like, you know. Pointing to him, <laughs> winking at him. Yeah, it's cool. It's super cool. Someday it'll be his car. That's awesome. Well, gives me cool an excuse thing. to get another one. Yeah, right. What a cool thing to pass I can borrow his car. Yeah. Hmm? Matt, I appreciate it. This has been a really fun conversation. Is that it? Is it over? Do you want it to be over? Or do you want to keep going? You have more to talk about? I mean, I always have stuff that falls out of my mouth, but I guess we're in a good place. We covered a lot. The what? The oh, the edging. That'll be the next interview. Yeah. It's a fantastic practice. I highly recommend it. What's the edging? We'll get into that later. Don't you mm. worry. I mean, not us together. I mean, whatever, maybe. I mean, you know. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what you're into, Boveda. <laughs> I mean, it's Vegas. Steve has a lot of knowledge of the underworld that yeah, I don't. Yeah, he does. Clearly, and he throws things out there, and I clearly am very naive. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's I don't thing. know this thing. Well, uh, you know, stop by the booth. I'll show you later. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I appreciate you. No, man, I appreciate you. Thanks for the time. If people didn't care enough about what we were doing to ask me questions, I'd be out of business. So thank you. Thank you all for watching another episode of Box Press. If you need anything from Room 101, you can go to room101cigars.com, room101brands.com. Embargo Cigar Company. Club Humidor. Anybody. Secreto Cigar Bar. The Cigar Chapel. <laughs> Nickel City. And as always, if you need anything from Bovida, go over to bovidainc.com. If you enjoyed this conversation with Matt Booth, like it. Subscribe. There's more coming your way. We appreciate you and thank you for joining us. Boveda. Keep it moist. We're going to use that.